Hello and welcome to the latest DAC Beechcroft's Lawcast. My name is Rod Richards, Head of Business Development for the Claim Solutions Group at DAC Beechcroft. In this episode, Emma Bowens and Rianne Grease from our Safety, Health and Environment team meet with their employment colleagues, Sarah George and Michelle Corrigan, to discuss well-being and work-related stress. Their focus today is on employers' duties and challenges in the post-pandemic environment. Hello and welcome to the DAC Beechcroft SafetyNet podcast. In this series, we provide practical solutions to challenges in regulatory law in a number of different areas, that is health and safety, environmental, and both food and product safety. My name is Emma Bowens and I am in the Regulatory Safety, Health and Environment team. And today I'm joined by three of my colleagues, Rian Greaves, also from our Safety, Health and Environment team, and also Sarah George and Michelle Corrigan from our employment team. Welcome to you all. Hi. Thanks, Emma. Hi there. Um, so we wanted to get together to discuss the, the really difficult issue of stress in the workplace and employee well-being. And since the pandemic, there's been a a lot of discussion about, you know, how we all work. And there are a lot of people who have significantly changed their working practices. And whoever you speak to, there's absolutely no doubt that the last few years have been very challenging and have had an impact on mental health for many people. So today we thought we would consider the issue in more detail and we plan to give you a bit of an overview of the issues that we believe employers need to be thinking about. So this discussion is based on a a series of events to explore this topic. So Michelle, uh, if you could start perhaps by telling us a little bit about the series and what prompted this. Yeah, of course. So this is something that we've had a lot of questions about from clients. Um, Mental health, it's it's a really tricky issue and there's never really just one option in terms of how to handle matters. So Rianne and I therefore decided to put together a wellbeing series and the first session that we had focused on mental health and we teamed up with Marie Amanda. She's from a company called The Growth Company Um, and following on from the success of that event, we got some really, really good feedback from it. Um, We've got a second event coming up on the 30th of June and this time we'll be keeping with the theme of wellbeing but focusing on generational diversity and in particular um, a tricky issue that is the menopause. And Sarah I think you've arranged events in Newcastle with Emma as well? Yeah that's right, Uh, the success of your Manchester event has prompted us to take the uh, series on the road so to speak. Um, You know we're aware that some of the contacts in our northeast location weren't able to meet your Manchester event so we're going to rerun the mental health in the workplace session from our Newcastle office and that will be on 22nd of June. Great and and of course it makes sense that we work together on this topic given the close links between HR and health and safety and certainly Rian and I often find ourselves referring our clients over to employment teams um, as issues often overlap. That's right Emma and it shows how much our practice has changed over the past five or six years and of course that's driven by our clients businesses um, as our employees have become better equipped to say that they're not okay to talk about their mental health um, to get some indication of the scale of the issue, we can look at the HSE's annual statistics uh, and they show that work-related stress, depression and anxiety account for 50% of all work-related health issues and 54% of those people res- responding to the Labour Force survey say that the pandemic has either caused or exacerbated their condition. 
And within those statistics, we can also see certain trends. So, for example, women have significantly higher rates of these conditions than men, whilst larger workplaces also appear to have more of a problem. And whether that's actually the case is perhaps open to question, because, for example, it may be that women feel more comfortable talking about mental health issues and maybe they work in environments that encourage that. And of course, it may also be that larger workplaces aren't actually more stressful, but instead have better systems to catch people when they do face these challenges. So like most sets of statistics, the numbers only tell part of the story. And I suspect the actual picture is much more widespread than those numbers tell us. Yeah, and like you say, I mean, the numbers are just staggering, but, you know, it does make you wonder whether we really do know, you know, the full extent of the issue. Um, so shall we start then with duties? So Rian, could you just outline the key duties from a health and safety perspective? Of course. Oh, there's nothing new here to tell. As an employer, there is a duty in respect of mental health in exactly the same way as there is relating to physical health and safety. So Section 2 of the Health and Safety at Work Act requires an employer to ensure, so far as is reasonably practicable, the health, safety and welfare of its employees. And that act's been with us since 1974, and it's really well understood, save that for much of its life, it's very much been the Safety at Work Act because it's been used to police workplace incidents and respond to falls from height and so on. Um, whereas what's actually been less obvious is that it also deals with health. And of course, health comprises both the physical and the mental health of an employee. So an employer has exactly the same duty uh, for mental health and safety as it does in relation to physical health and safety. And of course, the starting point, as with any health and safety risk, is the risk assessment. And there too, the legal duty is exactly the same. It's to make a suitable and sufficient assessment of the risks that your employees are exposed to. And that means doing a work-related stress risk assessment. And of course, there's a, a great deal of crossover from an employment perspective as well. Yeah, there is. Um, from an employment perspective, generally speaking, health and safety law doesn't create a right for an employee to pursue claims against their employers uh, for compensation for a breach of the health and safety obligations. But what it does do is if an employer um, and an organisation fails to take reasonable steps to ensure that they take reasonable care for their employees, and when we talk about reasonable care, we mean both in terms of their physical and their mental health, that can lead to a variety of other types of claims. So for example, you might have a claim that the employers caused stress. You might have a claim for another type of personal injury. And also you can get individual complaints to the employment tribunal um, to do with how you've managed stress. So it could lead to things like discrimination claims and constructive dismissal claims. Yeah, and it's it's interesting you mentioned claims that an employer has caused stress, and this raises you know so many questions. So whenever I talk to clients about risk management, we always consider first, you know, what is the risk? You know, what are we actually dealing with? So we ask ourselves, you know, what is stress? And that is is really complicated because stress is a very different thing um, for one person as it, as it is for another. Um, and this is just one of the reasons I think why it's so difficult to manage this this risk and that's something we're going to be talking about in more detail at our events. So Rian, can you perhaps just outline some of the key implications for employers uh, who perhaps are accused of failing to meet the required standards? 
Well, as we've already discussed, there is a clear legal duty in the law. And if you're in breach of that duty, that will be a criminal offence. And that's no different here as it is in the case of a physical safety risk. But there is a real challenge for the HSE in enforcing the legal obligations when it comes to health and particularly mental health. In reality, the HSE will only respond to complaints where there is evidence that a number of people are experiencing work-related stress and there is some scope for them to intervene effectively at an organisational level. They won't be interested in looking at individual cases for that reason that you've just pointed out, Emma, because it's too hard to prove the causal link between one particular case and possible workplace stressors. If the HSE do visit, they're looking at what are you doing as an employer in terms of primary interventions? What are your organisational strategies to reduce exposure to stresses at work? And these are preferred to secondary interventions, so the likes of stress management training or employee assistance programmes, because those are dealing with a problem that already has arisen rather than trying to nip it in the bud before it happens. And the HSE does have its full enforcement armoury available to it to deal with work-related stress cases, but in reality, if there is going to be any sort of action, it's much more likely to be a warning letter or an improvement notice than a prosecution. Yeah, and just just thinking of the steps that employers need to take. So I appreciate we'll discuss this in more detail at the events. But if I had to maybe push you to focus in on, I don't know, maybe three things that employers need to do to manage the risk, what would you suggest? I think the first thing is you need commitment from the organisation to properly tackle the issue and that means senior management commitment visible support from the senior management also remembering they too are at risk of stress and but also the resource to tackle the problem I think the next thing has to be the work-related stress risk assessment that's really your starting point so many organizations don't have one and have never considered preparing one but we do know that the HSE are asking to see these risk assessments as they go about their other business and that is helping them to identify how they will best enforce in this particular area of the law and once you've done your risk assessment you've identified your approach to managing risk you've got to keep that under review so that would be my third tip check is it working does anything need to change the old plan do check act model applies here just as it does in any other area of health and safety management yeah absolutely and you know we've just mentioned there the impact on employers if the HSC were to get involved but I guess you know that's just one of the implications of not dealing with this issue well yeah, you're absolutely right, Emma. I mean, we're regularly asked to support employers with the appropriate management of internal concerns and disputes that might have arisen with staff. You know, things like poor performance, high absence levels and grievances, which they might appear innocuous enough, apparently, but on close management and inspection, those kinds of behaviours are flags revealing an underlying mental health issue. Yeah. Absolutely. And conversely, we're just as often asked to support employers in managing employees where they're fully aware at the very beginning that there is a mental health issue. But perhaps what's less clear um, is what to do then and what reasonable adjustments can and should be made. And I think here, this is where there's a real notable difference between dealing with mental health and with physical health and physical conditions, because with physical conditions, it might be quite easy to understand what reasonable adjustments um, need to be made. For example, if you've got a bad back, you might need a particular chair. Um, But with mental health conditions, even sometimes the employees themselves can struggle to articulate what support would help them. And that's where our experience helps. We can often provide practical options for the employers to consider. 
Yeah, that's a really good point, Michelle. And, you know, aside from the legal and reputational risks that we're talking about, if you get complaints and claims from staff in these circumstances, the, the, the potential mental well-being flags that we've talked about are often an avoidable drain on the employee in question, but also on the organisation's cost and resources, which would need to be invested in managing them. That's why it's, it, it's key, really, to get in ahead before problems start to arise. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Sarah. And, you know, just for our last question, I'm really keen to drill down on some of the practical tips. So let's say those listening have a situation that is developing an employee now works from home. Perhaps they've been absent recently and perhaps they're not performing very well at all. It's all very out of character and, you know, managers are feeling like that person is certainly struggling. What in practice would you say that they should do? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the first thing really is to ensure that you've got an organisational understanding and that starts with um, a, a buy-in to do something to tackle uh, workplace well-being or rather ill health in the workplace and stress in particular. And you can do that by training your managers to identify the potential indicators and red flags of mental health matters um, by also giving them that courage and empower them to have conversations with staff about topics that might previously have been a little taboo or at least perceived in that way. It's about getting your line managers to check in on their staff regularly and following on from that, communication is absolutely key in this particular example. A conversation with the employee in question might flush out a problem very early on, but not just the fact that there is a problem, but also the nature of it, which will then help you manage it. Absolutely. I think another key thing is once you have identified an issue, is make sure that that's proactively managed. So, for example, if you've got an organisational policy, you need to apply that policy. For example, you might have a managing stress at work policy, you might have a well-being in the workplace, a capability policy, but it's about not just having that policy in place, but actually abiding by that and following the steps within it. The other thing to think about is undertaking an individual stress risk assessment um, and take steps to mitigate any identified workplace stressors. So it's key not just to, you know, when you're, when you're doing these risk assessments, not just use, use your common sense and to speak to the employee and engage with the employee, but also to take advice from specialists. So recognising that this might not be your specialist area. So speaking to occupational health, for example, where you need that input. What's more important, though, is to actually follow that advice. So where you get this specialist advice, actually take that into consideration and follow it through to make sure that the employee is receiving reasonable support at the right time and also in the right way. Yeah. And of course, at the end of the process, I guess you need to be considering whether it's appropriate to review your policy and possibly think about making some changes. I guess essentially just thinking through what's gone well, what could be improved and going through that process. Um, great. Well, thanks for that. There's some very good tips there. And of, of course, at the events, we'll discuss other aspects in relation to this issue. So things like how to identify the indicators of stress and whether stress is a disability. And we'll have a chance to take questions and discuss issues as we go. So, Sarah, could you remind us of our next event in Newcastle? Yes, of course. So our first session of the Wellbeing series, which is focusing on mental health in the workplace, will take place on the, in the morning of Wednesday, 22nd of June. And we're looking forward to that. Lovely. Thanks. And Michelle, your next event in Manchester? 
Yes, so in Manchester we have our second session, which, as I mentioned earlier, is going to be on generational diversity um, and where we'll also be looking at the specific considerations arising from the menopause. That session is going to be on the 30th of June and again will be a morning session. Fantastic, thank you. So if you'd like further information about the events that we've mentioned, or if you would like to attend an event in your area, please do get in touch because that will help us with our planning for future events. Our contact details are on our website, or you can email us at she, which is S-H-E for safety, health and environment, at dacbeachcroft.com. So thank you, Rian, Sarah, Michelle. I've really enjoyed uh, talking this through with you today. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Let's hope we've given people food for thought and hopefully the podcast has been really helpful. And thank you to you all for listening. And we look forward to bringing another SafetyNet podcast to you very soon.